Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. How's everything going in LA, Abby? For people who don't know, we do this remotely. We do this remotely now. And when I say now, I mean like for the last like five years at least. <laughs> yeah. But how's it? How's LA? I know it sounds like we're in the same room because it's so goddamn good and high quality. Oh, I know. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Like, compare that shit to, like, other podcasts, and it's just yeah. like, damn, dude. Compare that shit to Colin, and it's, like, all <laughs> people's, like, distorted voices on the phone. You guys well, actually sound good, but it's funny how that's... I, I, I'll i just say for just me, like, I'm very happy that you have a new show called Dosed, for people who don't know, and you should, you should definitely plug it when, I, when I'm done talking on this little rant. But it is weird how, like, the bar of audio quality, because of, like, cell phones and earbud headphones and mp3s it's weird for me as like an audio centric guy that like call in it's now acceptable to just like talk like just talking to your phone to do a podcast totally it's just sort of a weird thing even though i really like appreciate like the the model of it it's odd for me in that way and rant um totally agree i mean beginning of rant I am super OCD when it comes to the quality of my work. And like the thing that's annoying about Colin is you literally can't really operate it from the desktop. So it's like even if you wanted to do it all from your computer and and we even got this really awesome Zoom recorder that can level ourselves to have drops like Doug Pound style and all this stuff. And it's like it still sounds like shit. It just sounds like you're on a cell phone at the end of the day, even though we're not even operating through through the app really let me explain to people what this is because we haven't done a podcast since i started this show robbie um colin.com colin is an app on android through the google play store which is annoying and of course your iphone and basically what it is it's a really cool concept that kind of has (laughs) the revolutionized is such a fucking overplayed word it's basically made it very accessible for anyone to just have a podcast, be able to pipe in guests and be able to publish things and cut visualizers. It automates a transcript real time. And so it's just a really cool feature. It's like anyone can be a podcaster. Anyone can have a home base where they can generate these types of things from. And so that's why I really appreciate the effort of this new emerging tech company like as opposed to all these other new kind of tech companies that are just rehashing the same things carbon cutouts of other ideas and projects this is actually something new that is really interesting and that could really facilitate uh functionality you know of like people wanting to get into this space um and that's why i decided to do a show on it and the show is called dosed And it's totally different from Empire Files and Media Roots Radio. I feel like the last, I mean, Media Roots Radio, of course, is awesome. And we cover all the same things that we cover on Dose 2. But it's just a different kind of thing because I could just do things by myself and interview artists, musicians, scientists, philosophers, experts in different fields that I find really interesting. And the whole concept of it 
is to dose yourself, not with psychedelics, even though that's one way to do it, but it's just something that you've learned that's changed the way that you view the world or just a, a fact that's tripped you out. Um, and so, you know, the, the first episode is just explaining the concept of the show. The second one was an interview with Peter Joseph, the creator of the Zeitgeist trilogy. And it's basically, you know, just talking to him about something that really dosed me when I was younger and set me on the path that I am today. And the third episode was with this botanist guy just talking about how fascinating plants are. And so it's just that kind of stuff. It's really a way for me to dive into other subjects that make me a more multidimensional person. And I hope the audience um, is invigorated by this because I just have felt like, especially in the wake of the Russia-Ukraine war, that there's such an oversaturation and, o and overlap of the same kind of commentary. And there's such, uh, there's just kind of an influx of a lot of the same kind of talking heads in the alt media space that are just saying the same thing. And I just felt like I didn't really know how to contribute. And so I just felt like this was just a, a fun way to tap into something different, interesting. And, you know, people who may remember from breaking the set that I used to do a lot more stuff like this before I kind of got siloed off into like a, more of a dark, yeah. Um, dark information void <laughs> that I've been, you know, going down with, with Empire Files for a while. I mean, just having to cover the stuff that you typically cover, like with Empire Files or that we even typically cover on Media Roots, mm -hmm. is it does get like depressing and stressful to only sort of focus your efforts on that kind of stuff continuously. So I think it's good that you're focusing some of that same energy but on stuff that's like a little more light and invigorates your mind and is not like fucking just tragic right i there's just a certain amount of that stuff i think you can emotionally take on if you're like an actually empathetic person and not to sound selfish but yeah like everyone needs their mental health <laughs> well yeah it's so even to do better work in this space like if you do want to focus right. on the darker shit you got to have a little bit, you got to have balance. So, well, and people who listen to this show know that I'm a very empathetic person as you are. And I tend to get very emotional and I'm emotionally reactive. And even some guy on the SoundCloud comments was just like, I, it's very uncomfortable to hear Abby cry. Cause I like <laughs> teared up several times during the breaking the set uh -huh. reminiscing. And it's just like, I'm sorry, dude. I am a, I'm a human being. God damn it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard. I'm not a, anchor on CNN who can just talk about like genocide without being emotionally affected like I I feel like I am personally connected to the tragedy that I cover and I feel like that is what differentiates someone like me and I'm sorry that it may, might make some people uncomfortable but that's just the way I am you know I can't hide it so it is hard and it's hard to process all of this all the time um, so it is a great outlet and I hope people tune in you can Go to all of the podcast platforms that you're used to, Spotify, Apple, and go ahead and rate it and follow it and subscribe. And also, if you haven't done that with Media Roots Radio yet, well, what the fuck are you waiting for? Go leave us a review, give us five stars, and go spread the word, ladies and gents. And by the way, we still have several medium Media Roots Radio shirts left. We are almost sold out, but we have quite a few mediums left. So definitely get yours today. Really high quality cotton, really soft. And I hand pack every package with a bunch of Media Roots Radio stickers. Um, check it out at abbymartin.org in the store function. End of rant. Over to you.
yeah, the shirts are really, really nice for anyone who hasn't seen them yet. Um, and hopefully, I don't know if you plan to, but I, I mean, I think we should definitely print more. Um, there's probably a lot more people out there who want shirts. And so I'm going to try to encourage you to do that. <laughs> Will do. I'm on it. And uh, what else was I going to say? Comment on what you said. Oh, yeah. So if you want to become a subscriber to Media Roots Radio and actually support our work, you can do so at patreon.com slash media roots radio. We do put out an exclusive bonus episode every month just for our subscribers. Uh, tons of content on there. Some of those episodes are epically long investigative series. The newest one that we're putting out is based on the smallpox bioterror hoax during the Bush administration where they tried to roll out a program where they wanted everybody to get vaccinated from a disease that had been eradicated in 1980 uh, because of this imaginary fear of bioterrorism. Very strange event, totally memory hold in the consciousness, and I've done this original investigation on it that's sort of in a podcast miniseries form. So check that out. You can also check out preview episodes of it um, that are unlocked for everybody. You know, if you, if you just want to see what it's like, before subscribing we've also done abby and i have done content together a lot of content that's exclusive just for our subscribers so make sure to check that out and um depending on what tier you subscribe to you also get access to our media roots radio discord where you can chat with other listeners other subscribers and um access to a very heavy agenda the documentary series i put together about the new cold war which is sadly very timely right now based on what's happening in Ukraine and all this this new shit show. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's so many things like happening at once still. I just feel honestly just overloaded by everything. But we, I guess we'll just have to try to get through all this stuff today on a single episode, which I know is often difficult for us. Yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I know that we've, of course, belabored the Ukraine thing and it's still going on and it's still outrageous, but is there anything that you've seen since we recorded last I mean that you wanted to talk about I guess not nothing really just except for more you know the daily mail and like European media and some US media are starting to like hype up or generate a lot of hysteria again about Chinese police so you know making people stay home in Shanghai and what's happening in Shanghai with this new lockdown and covid you know, there's a video of people in hazmat suits in, in Shanghai, like carrying some guy away while he's screaming and trying to like grab onto something to not be like carried away. It looks crazy. The video looks, I, I can't say it looks good, but at the same time, it's kind of like, call me when China has videos coming out every week of Chinese police just like blowing someone's head off and like broad daylight uh, for like barely any reason. Because frankly, I, I just don't, like even these supposedly really dystopian videos of like Chinese police dealing with COVID do not, to me at least, rise to the level of like nearly the disturbing nature of how many fucking straight up like execution videos come out of our country, of our police. And just how normalized it is. I mean, it doesn't bother me compared to how much shit happens here. I know that sounds like what aboutism, but that's like probably one of the only things I've seen in the last few weeks where I'm just like, come on, dude. Well, it's not what aboutism because it's our country. Yeah, exactly. it's literally our country. It'd be what about us if you were talking about like the police executing someone, and then someone was like, "Well, what about this this video of this Chinese policeman carrying this person off?" Yeah. It's like, "Well, what?" Like people are getting like extrajudicially executed every other goddamn day in this country. 
I mean, is that how normalized it is that like it's just in the background? <laughs> like it's just it is. Well, it literally is because right. even when we think of the Black Lives Matter movement, one of the true things Dave Chappelle said, and I, and I think his politics are really terrible for the most part. But one of the true things he said was like George Floyd is the guy. It's not that he's like the hero we all hope for. He just happens to be the guy. It did seem a little bit arbitrary because there were like other, in my opinion, like more egregious police killings, like a 23-year-old Elijah McClain from Colorado who got injected with ketamine and just like dies. Dude, that is... On the way to the hospital. Jesus like, Christ, The man. police, I didn't even, like before I watched that video, I'm like, wait a second. Like I already knew, as horrific as it is, I already knew the police could do like chokeholds on people and just like sit on their neck. Like that's already something we knew. We knew that from the guy selling the, the loose cigarettes, you know, the I can't famous, I can't breathe video. That Eric was like the Garner. first one. Eric Garner. Yeah. That Elijah McCain video. I mean, I, I just didn't even know police could inject you with drugs in that situation. I was just like, it almost seemed like I was watching some kind of Philip K. Dick science fiction movie that the police can just inject you with ketamine if you're being like too resistant to arrest or something. It's, it was very bizarre. And it's really sad because he was like an introvert, just violin playing cute kid who just on camera, he was like, I'm an introvert. Please respect my boundaries. And then the officer's like, he's going for your gun. And then put him in a chokehold. And then like they injected him with ketamine. And then like the, the officers involved in the shooting posed, laughing and smiling, doing a ch the same chokehold that they killed and like posted it on social media. And it's like, hmm, wow. ACAB all day dude there's so many police killings that are so casual and so normalized that i just think we're just desensitized to it still even with the black lives matter movement exploding to the level it did a couple years back like it's we're incredibly desensitized to it the day before we recorded this abby a video came out that was released by the michigan police revealed what actually happened to an immigrant from the democratic republic of congo named Patrick Layoya, 26 years old. But this cop is on top of a guy wrestling him. He's a white cop on top of a black man. And he's like telling the guy, drop the taser, drop the taser. But he's like saying it in this like voice. It almost sounds kind of like robotic. He's like, drop the taser, drop the taser. And then he just like very casually sh like shoots him in the back of the head execution style with the oh, gun. Shit, and then he just man. looks at the guy filming with the iPhone and he's like, get back. It's just really disturbing because of the monotone like vocal cadence of the police officer he's like totally lobotomized yeah no it's fucking bizarre dude oh my god dude i mean i just saw a video the other day of a guy in a wheelchair going like i don't know like one mile an hour like wheeling into a store after a guest store employees at another store in the same lot said that he had shoplifted something and so the cop just comes up and then just unloads like eight rounds in the guy's back Holy after he doesn't shit. stop and it's like wait what what on earth is happening here? That wasn't even the one with the guy who was in the wheelchair with the knife from like a few weeks ago or like a month and a half ago. This is just I a think, shoplifter. No, no, no. I think that they thought that he had a knife, but he didn't. He just, ha he was just sitting. I mean, he, and even if he did, it's like. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I, the video I saw of someone, of a guy in a wheelchair being executed, they said he had a knife, but you could very well be talking about a different separate right, video. Right. That's how, that's how yeah. dystopian things are in this country. Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. I mean, and I understand that there are people who are scared of 
brazen forms of crime. Like I, I can understand on a certain level that there are people who are scared of these more brazen forms of robberies and thefts and like burglaries on the rise, like carjackings. Those type of crimes are on the rise. But the whole mentality that police are creating where it's like they're even getting these like very progressive DAs and city officials, city council peoples to like start groveling to them more and demanding more police, more drone. Like for example, in Chinatown in Oakland or San Francisco, I think they've gotten the police or like they've collaborated the police to like buy a bunch of like drones to just like fly around all the time. And it's like, I just don't think that that's the, that is not, the proper response here and the police i I'm, I'm gonna say this again even though we already said on the yasha podcast that i think that they're purposely hands off certain crimes not only because it's never really been a priority for them to begin with but also because they're mad at the public for talking about black lives matter and talking about police brutality for defunding them so successfully. That's why they're mad, because we totally defunded the police. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I totally agree with you. They're, they're stepping back yeah, and letting a lot happen because then they can go and lobby local legislatures and be like, see, crime's on the rise. You and, need more of us. You need more equipment. And there's blatant examples, unmistakable examples, where it seems like police are out of spite or out of maybe even, and we I don't know if there's actual evidence of this to suggest this, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's out there somewhere. We just haven't seen it yet. A leak from an internal memo from a police chief or something of them saying, these type of people in our community like do not deserve police response priorities. And here's why. Like they create mm-hmm. more crime or they're part of the problem. Like for example, cannabis dispensaries there's a rise in robberies of cannabis dispensaries because a lot of them deal only in cash. There's a videotape of a San Francisco cannabis dispensary being robbed with a, like in plain view, a smash and grab robbery, four guys breaking through the front door right after the place closed. There's a San Francisco police car, SFPD police car right outside. Like, so the cannabis dispensary is to their right, the police car's right, and they're facing like towards it. So they're not like parked the other direction, like looking away from it or something like that. They're facing towards it. In plain view in this surveillance camera footage, they are watching and clearly able to see a robbery taking place in real time. And they literally just like sit there for about 15 minutes while these guys are robbing and smashing the place up. And they got four guys just walk out, get into a getaway car and drive away. And the cops don't even follow them. This is on videotape. So... I guess for me, that's a very clear example of the cops maybe being told or personally deciding not to enforce the law when inside it comes job. to, yeah, or, or I don't know, maybe inside job. But to me, it read more as the police deciding these members of the community do not deserve our protection. Yeah, because they're mad that the cannabis dispensaries exist in the first place. Yeah, they're a probably. scourge. Like, yeah. fuck them. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember one of your first media roots reports, I remember you went and filmed the police just raiding and stealing all the marijuana from like one of the, you know, after the decriminalization. Yeah, during Obama, right at the beginning Mm -hmm. of Obama. And that was, uh, you know, not shouldn't have surprised anybody that that would have happened. But yeah, it was it was almost like they were mad that there was all this more brazen 
people like a lot of more businesses were opening up because the everybody was hoping that the Obama administration would be more lax, which it was in some ways. But it was almost like the federal government was like, "Fuck these motherfuckers!" Like we're gonna sh- teach them a lesson for thinking they can like step a little bit more out from the shadows and open more businesses. Like fuck these pieces of shit. And yeah, and if you look at like our country compared to the rest of the world, that really is the only. I mean, of course, there's a lot of negative things that go along with the decriminalization slash legalization. But I I mean, I would say just overall, that's like the best aspect of our country, like compared to the rest of the world is like the that step, you know, in the right direction of like finally cannabis is not stigmatized in the way that it was. Of course, some states, it's totally illegal still, but it's just like we're taking steps in the right direction with drugs. It gives me a lot of optimism considering, you know, not too long ago, the war on drugs really defined our society and pushed a lot of the mass incarceration that's still in effect today but i don't know how it happened so quickly but it is i'm hoping that the rest of the world takes a cue selfishly because i want to get the fuck out of here but i really want to smoke weed and so i and i don't want to get like thrown in jail for it so i'm just hoping that this will spark other things in the rest of the world since american culture is so infectious and you know destructive (laughs) this will be the one good aspect of american culture that hopefully will inspire other countries to follow suit is what i'm trying to say True. But I also was thinking about this recently. Like, what if at the federal level, marijuana was completely unscheduled and just taken off the DEA schedule list? I guarantee you there would be some states around the country, especially some of those more overzealous anti-drug states that like even had the death penalty at certain points in their history for things like hashish possession and shit. That's real. Like there was death penalty for certain drug possessions. Um, on the books back in the day, just on certain state books. And just think of the way cops operate. I mean, I watched a really good video of a lawyer explaining how any cop, if they want to conduct a real-time investigation of someone that they just merely think looks suspicious, just based on a gut feeling, if you follow someone in a vehicle long enough, you can find them committing a technical traffic violation enough to pull them over. The chances are that someone if you follow them for a long enough time, will eventually commit a traffic violation. And at that point, you can conduct and get someone in a position to conduct an investigation. That gives you a legal loophole to do so. And a lot of cops use sneaky maneuvers like that in order to pull people over and search the cars of people that they think look suspicious that they see out of their rearview mirror. But marijuana odor, as people have seen countless times, gives cops an in to escalate an investigation on somebody they find suspicious, like then calling in the canines or actually doing vehicle searches. The suspicion of marijuana odor alone allows a cop to do this. Any state or local government looking to just sweep up people or keep away people that they think are riffraff will always want to use a tool like this just to be able to get people in a weaker position. Marijuana possession still being a crime in and of itself just gives cops more leeway to just act a little fucking crazy. You look at places like the jurisdiction that Sheriff Joe Arpaio was responsible for, and you realize that, yeah, they're not going to give up that power. I mean, that they'd basically be them giving up an enormous amount of power. My thinking is that even if we decriminalize things at a federal level, there would still be some crazy state governments that would still be like, fuck these stoners. Like, they would treat them just like they're treating them now, and just have their own state laws to yeah. criminalize it. Yeah, I'm just so isolated in California. Like, I was thinking about this as we were developing the outline for this podcast about people 
just call California like the land of the fruits and the nuts just because and like what does that mean? It means that this state is comfortable in like two cities for LGBTQ people to live. It's like, wait a minute. But well, there's um, so, yeah, there's so much more to yeah. say about that. And I think there's a realization that I had, which I'll mention later, yeah. that it's like we are the fifth largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. That does have a big influence on just capitalism worldwide. Absolutely. And speaking of capitalism worldwide, one of the, in my opinion, a true renegade oligarch <laughs> who is, let's just say it, he's an African-American, the richest man <laughs> in the world. He is doing something that basically Ralph Nader always talked about as being one of the only ways that we could be saved as a society where the super rich will save us. And Elon Musk is jumping in with his gigantic fortune to save free speech forever in this country by first taking a 9% stake in Twitter and trying to get on the Twitter board. I guess that didn't work out. And now he's trying to buy, he's making a bid to buy the entirety of Twitter. Basically, Abby, this is, I think this is actually probably our last hope or one of the last chances we have to save free speech on the internet. And if this doesn't work out, I think we're just screwed. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's great. We're giving an African-Americans representation in one of the biggest tech companies, you know, to take over as CEO. I say, let's do it, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, a member of the PayPal mafia, a military industrial complex rocket manufacturer who was subsidized by the U.S. federal government to the tune of over $4 billion is the last hope that people have to save free speech. And I'm sorry that this is a very sarcastic, like two minute long joke we just did, but I just cannot get over the absurdity of how weird it is to see all these people coming out of the woodwork and buying into this idea that Elon Musk is somehow going to like save free speech. And is somehow going to make Twitter a bastion of free speech. Like, it reminds me an awful lot of this idea that Trump is going to pardon Julian Assange or that Trump is going to pull us out of Afghanistan. These sort of carrot on a stick things that involve really gross, powerful people doing things that are going to like save everybody or benefit all of us. And I'm just curious where this new type of mentality came from because i don't remember this in the political landscape before where people got this hopeful over like powerful oligarchs or rich individuals saying they're going to do things for people or society i think it's over time things have become so desperate and like people are becoming so uncoupled from reality that you have the notion that billionaires are the only thing left that can save us becoming a more popular idea. I mean, the fact that Ralph Nader literally published a book called Only the Billionaires Can Save Us or whatever really speaks to this problem that even on the left, appealing to the very oligarchs who have been oppressing us and consolidating all of this wealth and extracting it from the rest of us for so long are the very people who who are tasked with saving society. It's very problematic, it's very counterintuitive, and it's really worrisome that this is becoming a more popular thing, that people are just putting all of their faith in someone like Elon Musk, 
painting him as the renegade billionaire, which cancels itself out, just that term. Yeah, it's super disturbing and very dystopian and kind of perfectly encapsulates where we're at, sadly. And and Elon Musk is a very strange dude. Let's just say he he did not found Tesla for people who mistakenly think that. He actually was part of the original PayPal mafia, loosely connected to NQTEL, the CIA group that would fund some of these Silicon Valley startups like Palantir. Now, Musk was originally the CEO of PayPal and got replaced by Peter Thiel in 2000. And PayPal was bought by eBay in 2002. Musk was the largest shareholder in PayPal and cashed out for over around $180 million, according to some figures. In 2008, he started to work with NASA with SpaceX, where NASA awarded SpaceX a $1.6 billion contract for 12 flights to the International Space Station. And at some point, they netted a $3 billion contract to take humans to the moon for NASA. It's just very strange to me that it, where it, what his background is. Like his father in South Africa ran an emerald mine. You know, you, typically speaking, people who run mines for precious gems or minerals in South Africa are, are pretty bad people. Now, there's been a lot of stories that have come out over the years about how Elon Musk used to carry giant emeralds in his pockets while walking around the streets of New York. And at one point, his dad said that we were very wealthy. We had so much money at times, we couldn't even close our safe. Adding that one person would have to hold the money in place with another closing the door to squeeze it in. And then there'd still be all these notes sticking out and we'd sort of pull them out and put them in our pockets. Now, I don't know what South African government was like at the time that Errol Musk was operating, but the way that he got this mine, he didn't just run the mine, he owned it, was in a very bizarre manner. And when I say bizarre, I mean very sketchy and seemingly in a way that seems like it was basically sold to him by organized crime. According to an independent article, the way Errol tells it, that all started with an inconvenient religious holiday. We're going to fly into Jeddah and there was a religious holiday and they said if we come in now, we have to pay $2,000, but if we wait 10 days, we can come in at no charge. So we decided to head back to Lake Tangiika from where we were. I think we're in Djibouti. There, the two, th- the two South Africans ran into a group of Italians who, as it happened, were in the market for an airplane. Errol named his price and a deal was done. So we went to this guy's prefab and he opened his safe and there was just stacks of money and he paid me out, 80,000 pounds. Standing with the cash in his hand, Errol was made another offer he couldn't refuse. Would he like to buy half an emerald mine, or half. I said, oh, all right. So I became half owner of the mine, and we got emeralds for the next six years. I mean, I don't want to be uh, racially stereotyping anybody here, but he met some Italians on the way to Jeddah, and they wanted to just like buy his plane in cash. <laughs> like It sounds like they were up to some really sketchy shit. And then they ended up selling him half of an emerald mine. What in the fuck was going on there? And it turns out that his father actually married his own stepdaughter. Now, oh, like Woody Allen, sweet. Yeah, but even worse than that, because he was like, this is like literally his own, like, knew her her whole life, like stepdaughter. Like Woody Allen, the out a lot of people try to use is like, oh, he like barely knew Sun Yi, and like he just like fell in love <laughs> with her. It's like, because like she was like, what's her face's stepdaughter? You know, but this is like actually like just blatantly more in your face, like crazy. 
And it's really gross, too, because he ended up having a child. Listen to what he says. We were lonely, lost people. One thing led to another. You can call it God's plan or nature's plan. And apparently Errol tells the Daily Mail that after he told his daughter, Allie, about having a child with his own stepdaughter, he thought that she would be supportive and understanding. And she said I was insane, mentally ill. She told the others and they went berserk, he explained. They think I'm getting senile and should go into an old age home, not have a life full of fun and a tiny baby. And then apparently this was the source of a huge schism between Errol and Elon Musk, who I guess had a fairly good relationship or close in certain ways. The Daily Mail said that a source told them that the whole family was outraged when we found out. This is the reason why Elon is so angry with Errol. He's the only father she has ever known. And now he is the father of her child as well. Wow, that's fucking disturbing. Now, apparently just a year before this revelation about them having a child together came out, um, I'm sure Elon knew about this relationship previous to it, the news about the actual child, her giving birth. But Elon did an interview in Rolling Stone magazine where apparently he broke down into tears while talking about his father. He called him a terrible human being in a 2017 interview with Rolling Stone. Elon said that after the divorce of his dad from his mother, he felt very sad for his father, so he decided to go live with them by himself, and he realized it was not a good idea. He was such a terrible human being. And Elon was 46 at the time he did this interview. You have no idea. My dad will have a carefully thought out plan of evil. He will plan evil. He is an odd duck, Elon said of Earl. It would certainly be accurate to say that I did not have a good childhood. It may sound good. It was not absent of good, but it was not a happy childhood. It was like misery. He's good at making life miserable. That's for sure. He's not a happy man. I don't know how someone becomes like he is. It would just cause too much trouble to tell you anymore. And this is where it gets weird, actually, what Elon starts saying. He says, you have no idea about how bad almost every crime you can possibly think of he has done. Although he never went into specifics about what his father allegedly did, Elon says, almost every evil thing you could possibly think of he has done. It's so terrible, you can't believe it. And then this also came out of the Rolling Stone interview. Uh, I don't think Elon Musk actually talked about it, but they mentioned it is that Errol Musk allegedly shot and killed three out of five burglars who tried to break into his home. It's not clear if these were separate incidents or just one incident, but he said he was cleared of all charges on self-defense. And after Errol Musk read this interview in Rolling Stone, he shot back at his son and called him a spoiled child. Elon needs to grow up. He needs to get over himself. I'm not going to hit back. I'm going to wait until he comes to his senses. He's having a tantrum. He can't have what he wants, and now I'm apparently an evil monster. Engaging by the time period that I can line up, his father came out and said he had child with his own stepdaughter in 2018 when she was 30 years old. He's still either 16 or 17 years older than her. So there's a possibility that he remembers her in the household. So this is what he says about his own father. Elon Musk's father married his own stepdaughter. So I don't know if Elon Musk like knew this stepdaughter growing up. I, if he did, that'd be awfully bizarre to think that your 
father basically married your sister. I mean, because you would see, you know, if you were raised with like someone who was like stepdaughter, it would almost seem like it's, it's your sister, depending on how young that happened in your life. Like if your parents got divorced and and your one of your parents got remarried and someone came into your life that you lived with and you were like 10 years old and they were the, the you know, your dad's stepdaughter, it would still be like your sibling. So that must have been a very bizarre way for him to be raised. I, I don't know at what point that that happened. I just can't imagine that. That's what does that do to a person psychologically? Like if your father did that? I, I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Abby? I mean, I think it's extremely disturbing. But I mean, come on, dude. He he has a, he has two kids with Grimes, man. I mean, that's fucking super fucking cool, dude. Dude, I just saw Grimes and Natasha, whatever the fuck from Pussy Riot, who has a sick ass OnlyFans right now, bro. Wait, they were just on Hassan Piker's live stream, and it was super fucking dope. I'm gonna go. Wait, she has an OnlyFans? What'd she do on it? Yeah, of course she does. I mean, is this true or was that used as a smear against them that they like fucked a chicken on some <laughs> video? Because then I was just thinking, did that term what? keep fucking that chicken? Did that what? come from Pussy Riot? Or did Wait that, a minute. What? Or did, were okay. they referencing that like a meme where they like, let's make a video of like, I, I have no idea if I'm just pulling that. I, mean, I didn't pull that out that, of thin air. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past them especially after finding out that one of the members was like dating a neo-nazi and they had to take down this photo of them like with all these swastikas and like ss symbolism on it um just very strange group the fact that they were like just completely propped up uh, like all across the u.s they had all these meetings with politicians they were in house of cards it's just like what the absolute hell is happening here. and that they even got away with something that i don't think very many people have gone away with i mean you can make the argument that the Skripals and navalny's poisoning is sketchy and it raises a lot of questions about like who actually did that were they poisoned because navalny survived of course he didn't seem to be suffering any like long-term side effects but one of the members of pussy riot actually got away with saying they were like they had been poisoned by like putin and were like dying in the hospital and then all of a sudden they were like, nope, we're fine. We didn't get poison. But it was like a, it was like a story for a good week. Just a total stunt. I mean, um. I don't know if it was a stunt or the guy actually just got really sick and then he just th- was paranoid. I mean, it, I guess the best case scenario, if I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, is maybe he just got really ill and thought that he had gotten poisoned because he was paranoid. I have no idea. But it like became a real story. But going back to Elon Musk... I mean, it is weird to me that he got some like points right at the beginning of the Ukraine thing that happened, you know, the invasion of Ukraine that happened recently. He set up this thing called Starlink, which is a series of internet satellites that basically create its own like internet service provider, I think, that people can access and it cannot be like blocked by the nation state that that these satellites are meant to like operate in. Now, this all really took off. On February 26th, and for how long it was in the works before that is anyone's guess. But Elon Musk tweeted on February 26th, Starlink service is now active in Ukraine. More terminals en route. Now, the invasion of Ukraine technically happened on the 24th of February, so two days before. How were these terminals en route? Were military vehicles, like, but or military cargo planes sending these things over to neighboring nations next to Ukraine and then sending them over the border in route how now again this 
seems like it could just be a PR stunt. Like he's just taking advantage of the fact that this is happening just like he has before with the Thai cave rescue thing where he wanted to send the submarine. Uh, and apparently he did a similar thing with Tonga on January 20th. For some reason, he waited five days after their devastating volcanic eruption there to say, to respond to a Reuters Twitter account saying, could the people from Tonga let us know if it's important for SpaceX to send over Starlink terminals? Couldn't he just reach out directly to the government of Tonga if he wanted to and not like make a PR stunt about it on Twitter? So again, it seems like it could be related to that, right? So at first it had this impression that he wasn't doing this uh, with U.S. government money, that he was just merely donating this stuff like as a stunt. Like at worst, this was just a PR stunt for him to sort of advertise Starlink. But the way that the Starlink in Ukraine story as it originally came out um, was basically a false headline, where it presented as if Musk was donating the technology and equipment himself to these Ukrainian government officials. In reality, this was actually a White House-driven project, where they arranged a purchase of the infrastructure from Musk and charged U.S. taxpayers for it. So it makes this story of him being this free speech absolutist when it comes to this situation way more phony, when it's the White House who's basically paying for this all. And this was reported in Mashable. Elon Musk donated, in quotes, Starlink terminals to Ukraine. U.S. taxpayers paid SpaceX millions for it. SpaceX previously claimed the U.S. didn't give them any money to send Starlink to Ukraine. So it says, again, the Washington Post ended up reporting that the U.S. is quietly paying millions to send Starlink terminals to Ukraine, contrary to SpaceX's claims. So why would they be hiding that? What's the reason? Well, you know, is that just to stroke Elon Musk's ego so he makes himself seem like a humanitarian, or is it because he just doesn't want to advertise the fact that he's an appendage of the military-industrial complex? But it is interesting that Starlink largely launched in this like big PR stunt for Ukraine, where the purpose was sort of like Elon Musk is like, oh, the Russian government is going to shut down a free speech, or you know, we can't let like this totalitarian lockdown happen, so we're going to give access to the the people of Ukraine internet based on my Starlink technology. That whole thing just seems like he's somehow working with the U.S. government or working with NATO. I mean, he's got to be like somehow working together with them on that. I just don't see any possibility where he's like independently doing this in Ukraine and like the U.S. government and NATO has like no involvement in that. Uh, this is so funny. The fact that he was subsidized to such an extreme degree and only able to get this rich because of essentially living off U.S. government subsidies and the yeah. whole the fact that NASA's just outsourced everything to him. You're telling me that Starlink is not going to be integrated with some sort of like global NSA surveillance grid. And you're telling me that this guy is just some like renegade who's like going to give us back our free speech no, it is it is crazy and I didn't sorry, I didn't get to finish my point. I just want to mention the last the very last thing is that he he gained this credibility, I think, early on in this Ukraine crisis, not for being like an appendage of the military industrial complex helping NATO and the United States government Ukraine fight Russia. He gained credibility for being like a pro-free speech warrior in the face of pressure because he tweeted a single time. Starlink has been told by some governments, not Ukraine. To block Russian news sources, we will not do so unless at gunpoint. Sorry to be a free speech absolutist. That's from March 4th. And it almost seems like he might be implying the U.S. government asked them to ban 
Russian media there, and he didn't comply. It's not clear. He says, not Ukraine. But just as a juxtaposition, right the day before he tweeted that, he basically tweeted that the reason that you know Starlink was there was basically to help the Ukrainian fend off the Russian invaders, to help them in the war, the NATO-sponsored, U.S.-sponsored proxy war. He says, important warning, Starlink is the only non-Russian communication system still working in some parts of Ukraine, so probability of it being targeted is high. Please use with caution. So he's essentially warning people that like the Russian government could be trying to hack it. You know, this is cyber defense, which he also emphasizes several times in his tweets about Starlink that a lot of it revolves around cyber defense. And just a few weeks later, on March 25th, he tweets, Starlink, at least so far, has resisted all hacking and jamming attempts. That's all he, it took, I think, to like somehow propel him all of a sudden into the status of being like he's a renegade f- free speech lawyer. On some level, he must have bought PR or something to create this image of himself, but it like immediately dovetails like into this Twitter buyout thing. It's like, why would people even just assume that because he's buying a 9% stake in Twitter that he's going to bring Donald Trump's Twitter account back and, and unban everybody? This was like the narrative all of a sudden. And it's just like, I don't even understand how people connect that together. It's just because he says he's not going to ban RT and Russian media on Starlink. Honestly, that just seems like he's throwing a little bone out there so people don't realize the obvious glaring red flag that he's like part of the military industrial fucking complex. Now, this guy who wants to present himself as a free speech renegade apparently is allowing his Starlink satellite system to be used by the Ukrainian army for drone strikes and cyber attacks against Russia and also just other things involved in the actual war itself. Now, I don't know if this is a Russian media site or not. Um, It's in Germany. It's called Dutch Well. With the headline, Ukraine is using Elon Musk's Starlink for drone strikes. Elon Musk's satellites are connecting Ukraine with the internet. Starlink was conceived as a civilian program, but Ukrainians' military can also use it to guide drones and strike Russian tanks in positions. It says, what first looked like a PR coup now seems to be playing a significant role in Ukraine's defense. British media have reported that Ukraine's army is making very successful use of Starlink for drone attacks on Russian tanks and positions. The Telegraph reported that Starlink is of particular military significance in areas where the infrastructure is weak and there is no internet connection. The Telegraph reported that soldiers are firing anti-tank weapons using targeting precision based on the Starlink data that they're receiving. An officer with a Ukrainian army unit told the Times... We use Starlink equipment and connect the drone team with our artillery team. If we use a drone with thermal night, thermal vision at night, the drone must connect through Starlink to the artillery guy and create target acquisition. The article says, Quite apart from its military usefulness, Starlink has become vital to Ukraine, both for obtaining worldwide support and for maintaining the unbroken resistance of the people. It also says Zelensky relies on Starlink to make his speeches, his video broadcast speeches. And actually, Russia did say something. Um, This is the only thing that I know of that ran on RT. This is what the article says, that Dmitry Rogozin, the head of the Russian space agency Roscosmos, called Starlink's activities interference. He said, when Russia implements its highest national interests on the territory of Ukraine, Elon Musk appears with his Starlink. 
which was previously declared purely civilian. And again, this whole thing about Starlink providing internet to the Ukrainian people that you know the Russian government can't stop is again some sort of free speech symbol, even though it's obvious that this is used as a tool in the war, in the proxy war against Russia. He's a rocket manufacturer. These rockets aren't just launching satellites into space. Who else do you think is looking into and working with him on his rocket technology? The Pentagon, because they are. You can look it up. SpaceX is also a part of the Pentagon and gets Pentagon contracts. Like it should have been any surprise to anybody that in 2016, on June 9th, CNN and other news agencies run articles asking what Elon Musk was doing at the Pentagon. It says the focus of the closed door get together was, quote, innovation, according to a Defense Department spokesperson. Although Musk is also looking to win more government business for SpaceX, which launches satellites into orbit. Musk tweeted Thursday about the visit and included a reference to the Marvel comic Iron Man character. He is thought to have partly inspired that character in the 2008 Iron Man film. And Elon Musk actually tweeted out the CNN article I'm reading to you from now on June 8th, 2016. And he says something about a flying metal suit, dot, dot, dot. So this should have been an obvious indication to people that Elon Musk was already an appendage of the military industrial complex. I mean, if it wasn't obvious already, you know, this was already known about for a long time. Now, it wasn't until sometime uh, in the sort of, you know, after 2020 uh, that people started hearing about these contracts that Elon Musk was actually winning with the Pentagon for SpaceX technology. A headline run on Business Insider from March 11, 2021, says Elon Musk's SpaceX wins two Pentagon contracts for nearly $160 million to launch missions with its Falcon 9 rockets. This is the third time SpaceX has signed an agreement with the Pentagon, and the previous contract they got was for $149 million to make missile tracking satellites for the DoD, SpaceX's first government contract to build satellites. Now, what's interesting is the U.S. government or the Pentagon, rather, awarded another part of their large contract for this to a company called United Launch Alliance, which is a joint venture between Boeing and Lockheed Martin. So they're also probably doing a lot of weapons research, at least like R&D type stuff. Absolutely. And it's just a sad commentary on where we're at, that we're just appealing to the richest man in the world to somehow salvage this broken society you know, the complete demolition of our First Amendment. We're like, please, Elon. Yeah. Please. I, I would say it's like, it's it's more like an erosion of the First Amendment because I can't ever see the U.S. government actually like getting a movement strong enough to like literally get rid of the First Amendment. No, because they need to herald that as exactly. what makes us a democracy. So they need to use our Constitution and Bill of Rights around the world to be like, look, we're different. We have this. 100%. It is just really strange how a lot of this stuff almost seems like some kind of setup. So, for example, and I say setup, I don't really know what I mean by that. I don't, I'm not saying it was done by some kind of intelligence agencies or I say the most probably where I lean towards it. It feels like Elon Musk represents some kind of political faction that is representative of this sort of Peter Thiel style faction that is now like getting involved in all these different ways with media. And I didn't really think of Elon Musk as someone who was involved in media before, but 
you do have to wonder a lot of these billionaires like they've got to be like piping money into different forms of media we just probably just don't know it you know it's like not obvious but i think this signals to me that he's probably been involved in media in some form for a while previous to this because it's like why all of a sudden this interest to you know have an influence or controlling stake in twitter specifically and i do think we need to also remember that it's like like you said they need to herald the first amendment but i do think somehow we've been conditioned to be corralled into these avenues of internet and like speech platforms where we're, where they're so controlled that it feels like you know free speech isn't allowed anymore and that to me feels very deliberate and i also think twitter has probably been in bed with intelligence agencies for a very long time at least since the arab spring that was a very clear indication that it has geopolitical serious geopolitical consequences twitter does in a way that until that happened i didn't really even conceive of twitter working that way before this is a very powerful apparatus it's not just a way to you know corral people and censor free speech it's also a way to like steer the global dialogue or like steer politics or political wins or even like revolutions so i don't know what it means that Elon Musk wants to take a controlling stake in this. But what's interesting is it's creating a lot of weird reactions now where a lot of people are like coming out very hypocritically. Like, you know, Jeff Bezos buying the Washington Post is okay, but Elon Musk buying a stake in Twitter is like not okay. This is like an evil billionaire trying to, you know, do something that's never been done before. Max Boot of Project for the New American Century, Infamy classic neocon who now has a Ukrainian flag next to his blue check on Twitter, wrote an editorial in the Jeff Bezos-owned Washington Post saying, Elon Musk is the last person who should take over Twitter. And this is what Max Boot tweeted. I'm not going to read the actual trash article, but he says, I am concerned about what Elon Musk's takeover bid means, not just for Twitter, but for our democracy. Anyone who thinks the problem with social media is too much content moderation rather than too little should not own one of the most powerful platforms. And Boot also tweeted, I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. So there's a lot of like weird hypocritical reactions coming out, and then people are using that as like proof that Elon Musk is a renegade. So it's interesting like to see Glenn Greenwald talking about this. He's like he's like we shouldn't get our hopes up about like Elon Musk, you know, saving free speech, but the reactions to him trying to buy Twitter are like what's really the story here. You know, like this the elites like throwing like a tantrum cuz they're scared. And it's sort of implicating that again, just because that's the focus of Glenn Greenwald, he wants to talk about how the elites are scared or having a tantrum over Elon Musk doing this, that that must on some level mean that what Elon Musk is doing is like renegade and is like shaking things up. And we, I think that's more of that weird hopeful narrative. We're getting little, all these different versions of that, that it's like these people are here to shake things up even is like a hopeful narrative. At this time, I need to remind people listening that Elon Musk is literally the most wealthy person in the world. He is the richest man in the world currently. On Forbes 2022 richest man in the world list or richest people in the world list, even though they're all men, ranks Elon Musk, number one, at $219 billion. 
Jeff Bezos at number two, the owner of the Washington Post and Amazon at $171 billion. Bernard Annault and family, $158 billion. Louis Vuitton, Christian Dior. Bill Gates is number four at $129 billion. These are all Silicon Valley billionaires who obviously have connections to the deep state. But yet there's this perception that Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post are like an appendage of the CIA going against this anti-establishment renegade Elon Musk. I mean, isn't it more likely that they're just sort of billionaires who are in some kind of ideological competition with each other on some very surface level thing, or even in business competition with each other? After all, they're both trying to angle for U.S. Defense Department contracts with their rockets, which Jeff Bezos is also really fixated on with his aerospace company, Blue Origin, much like SpaceX. Is he really shaking things up? What indication at all has he given that he's here to like save free speech on Twitter? I don't even understand where it's coming from, which makes me think it's like bought and paid for online promotion for him somehow. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't fucking mm-hmm. know, dude. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that you just outlined that is truly shocking and greatly disturbing. I mean, who even talks about their father that way, first of all? Like, he's actually done evil things, committed every crime that you can think of. Jesus Christ, we already know he killed several burglars, quote-unquote, trying to enter his home. What else has this dude done? How many skeletons are buried in the Musk family emerald mines? I mean, it's funny how much of a weird fan club of, like, weird insulty dudes Elon has, too. Like, even just on Reddit doing some of the research for this episode, you should see how many people, like, cape for him and say, oh, no, 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 like, he's actually so much different than Bezos or Branson because he wasn't born into the same kind of wealth. All right, maybe not the extreme wealth that they did, but Christ, not many people I know have parents that own emerald mines. I also read kind of a sad article by his first wife that talks about how her first son with him died of SIDS at 10 weeks old and Elon like punished her for it, made her get on IV treatments um, where she immediately had a set of twins and then triplets and they were all boys and then divorced her essentially like overnight because she had this breakdown because he wouldn't let her grieve her child's death publicly and like not even personally either. She couldn't talk about it at all. He demanded that she was completely silent about it, and he would regularly also tell her, like, if you were my employee, I would fire you. Um, Sounds like a complete sociopath. Very healthy, nurturing guy, right? His whole trajectory is, like, super interesting, too. In a way, he's kind of like a Trumpian figure, except way less fucking funny. Like, at least Trump is somewhat funny, whether he's intentionally funny or not. But, like, Elon Musk is painfully unfunny a la Babylon B humor. In fact, he's promoted and commented on how funny that site is several times, which I think says it all. It's like the onion for absolute lobotomized fucking morons. Um, You know, Elon's, like, entire... I mean, the last couple years, I feel like through Trump, he really has shown his true colors of how much of a little baby he is that just really revels in like people thinking that he's amusing, even though he's completely not at all. And it's really just the cult worship of a billionaire. Um, 
you know, of a multi multi billionaire like him, that really just makes this cult possible. But like, if he was just the average guy in the street, you would just think he's the fucking dumbest guy in the world. He's like really a sad, tragic kind of loser character. Um, you know, he like did that whole thing where he was trying to put his stock uh, at Tesla at like four twenty, dude. Um, the marketing, the flamethrowers gambit, and then also challenging Vladimir Putin to quote combat with him. <laughs> yeah, let's see who wins with that, dude. Um, and then of course he like does really stupid shit, like, like basically brags to magazines that he live tweets him taking a shit. Um, you know, I mean, this guy has 66 million Twitter followers and he just like tweets like, Hey, just dropping some friends off at the pool. (laughs) That's fucking crazy, bro. Or how about this? After raking in literally billions of dollars in U.S. government subsidies and contracts, he tweeted at Senator Ron Wyden. That his profile pic looked like he was basically coming when Wyden suggested that we should have a billionaire's income tax. Hmm. He's also said many times that paying taxes proportionate to his insane wealth would not be good for the people because the U.S. government is inherently not a good steward of capital. That is a quote from him. Inherently not a good steward of capital. So essentially, Elon Musk is a libertarian through and through, like a lot of these rich assholes are. I mean, why wouldn't you be? The system has served you enormously well, and of course you're going to die defending it. Your success depends on the survival of this system at the expense of literally billions of people. And let's talk about just his weird political trajectory, because that too is kind of similar to Trump. Initially, Musk was revered by liberals, lauded as a hero who was saving the environment and helping, <clears throat> and helping the government explore space. And kind of was tasked with saving the world, in a sense. Um, For example, just check out how crazy this feature of Elon Musk as Time Magazine's 2021 Person of the Year is. Of course, Time Magazine also chose Hitler to be Person of the Year in 1938. So take this with a grain of salt. But this lengthy introduction of the Time Magazine profile reveres basically this, this god among us mortal men. They literally call him like a blue-skinned god. (laughs) No joke. Um, He is the richest private citizen in history who is, quote, arguably the biggest private contributor to fighting climate change. End quote. Um, Apparently, at one point, Elon Musk launched like a $100 million prize for anyone who could find a way to remove carbon from the atmosphere and store it for 100 years. On a side note, I am actually surprised he's not a climate change denier, but back to the story. So at the same time, he's, you know, doing these kind of pittance, philanthropic, like initiatives to quote unquote, save the climate. Um, You know, he's, he's putting on Twitter that quote, we will coup whoever we want in the pursuit of minerals like lithium. I think this was right after the U.S. backed coup in Bolivia against Evo Morales is when Elon Musk said this. And no, he didn't delete it or anything. He was very proudly stating that we will coup whoever the fuck we want. Yeah, he's truly a hero, isn't he? Um, You know, like the notion that he's a hero for throwing pittance to a problem that the system's capacity to make him the richest man on the earth has caused is beyond insulting, beyond disgraceful, and really incomprehensible that this is where we're at. Um, the Time Magazine profiles really just exemplifies 
the rest of how the press treats this man like like he really is a god like these people just you know bow down to him like oh my god how much praise can we shower on you um the magazine basically suggests that musk's irreverence with human misery is good because he has his eyes on mars so you know musk can't be troubled with all the problems us humans have on this planet robbie um like it's just it's just insane it's just insane it's like the framing of all of this should instead be why is it that one man can amass such wealth that they could literally carve out this future dystopian society or universe that they could almost exclusively run with the influence that they are amassing at the same time that is truly a horrifying concept to explore but of course time magazine is part and parcel with the system so why would they ever broach that um, so let's get to, so yeah, just to comment on now the Twitter stuff. Now he's brandishing himself as this free speech absolutist. He's tweeting that he wants to loosen the content restrictions and bans on Twitter. Okay. But this is also interesting. And I think it shows you where his insight on this lies. Um, he tweeted, quote, a social media's platform's policies are good if the most extreme 10% on the left and the right are equally unhappy, end quote. All right, this is a really strange thing to say, and I'm not sure what content would be worthy of censorship from the far left, aka communists. Like, ag again, like this notion that the far left and the far right are somehow equivalently, like, offensive is bizarre. It's like, on one side, you have communists, and I guess you could argue anarchists. Um, on the other side, you have literal, like, neo-Nazis who want to erase marginalized people from the planet. When on the other side, apparently just the demonization of communism and anti-communism being the bedrock of this country has made people think that like it's like some sort of like Stalinist purge of like everyone who isn't this far left authoritarian. It's just comically untrue and it really shows you just the blatant, just the deep seated ignorance of someone like Elon Musk and, um, you know, the majority of people in this country. But like. You know, it's like it's like you said, like everything that liberals become outraged about this latest outrage cycle is just riddled with hypocrisy because no one cares that Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia literally has one of the biggest stakes in Twitter. But yeah, these people don't care that Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Michael Bloomberg owns Bloomberg News, that billionaires have been restricting the flow of information for so long. And really, this isn't anything different. This only helps the narrative that he's somehow outside of this disgusting club. And like, I think the idea that Elon is somehow different in the same way that Trump was different, even though they're just cutouts of the exact same system that represent just warring factions within the system, must have been helped by his appearance on Joe Rogan, where he was boring as sin and pretended to smoke a blunt. And I think alongside his weird relationship with Grimes, it really like solidified him as some sort of like aberration, like he is a really interesting guy and... Um, I, I, I actually have no fucking idea, but it is really strange, really, really strange. Um, there was actually a Pew research study recently that, that showed how Americans views of billionaires have grown increasingly negative, but a majority still believe billionaires are neither good nor bad for America. This really just reveals everything, that billionaires have been able to wield such enormous influence. They, they practice stealth politics, like they are actively working behind the scenes in so many different facets 
deploying, I mean, I don't know. I mean, how much fucking money did he make just within COVID? Like billions and billions of dollars. It's like when you have that that amount of money at your at your disposal, you can shape public opinion. You could do whatever the fuck you want. You you don't even just have the ability to shape government policies in your favor. Like that that's a given. I mean, just think about that. Think about what you can do with social media bots, with curation of the internet. Um, you know, it's it's really incredible to think of how much you can really shift global politics, global politics, and really insidious, insidiously so. You have your hands in everything. And the fact that the majority of Americans actually cannot link the fact that billionaires shouldn't exist, that billionaires existing is the most egregious display of inequality that we can look at. <laughs> it's like a mental illness to like hoard that much wealth. Um, and the fact that people still haven't made this connection, I think, really speaks volumes about where we are at. The disconnection, the disassociation with capitalism as the crux of all of the problems that we face in our society. It's astounding, actually. Um, back to the Twitter thing, though. I mean, Elon keeps talking about Twitter's black, block, black, box, black box algorithm uh, that it decides to amplify or demote certain things. But OK, like, let's look at Tesla's black box According to the LA Times, this is really interesting, the code governing the operation of Tesla's an autopilot or full self-driving mode is private and proprietary. That has made it difficult for regulators to understand the specific failures that have led to Tesla's steering themselves into parked emergency vehicles, running down railroad tracks, confusing the moon for a traffic signal yellow light, and other documented mistakes. Also closely guarded are Tesla's data on autopilot injuries and fatalities, Musk says cars driven on autopilot are safer than those driven by human drivers, but he's never served up the proof. Really interesting um, and disturbing, actually, because the autopilot thing sounds good, but like, yeah, when it when it hasn't perfected itself and when you're preventing transparency and independent researchers from corroborating that the data is is verifiable, like that is really problematic. And of course, you know, we have to mention how fucking stupid the boring tunnel system that he's proposing is um, already, you know, riddled with, with problems. Basically, cars are at a standstill sitting in traffic, but claustrophobic in these long tubes with no escape. Really bizarre that this is where we're at. You would think that uh, this brilliant visionary would have a better solution. Speed rails. Things that have been proven to work, not just fucking catering small tunnel systems for Tesla owners and like rich people in L.A. It's, it's sick. It's sick that L.A. city planners are even allowing this shit to happen. How much are they getting bribed, dude? And then check this out. Like, um, I mean, he also like is embroiled in this huge fraud scandal with the government, um, with the Securities and Exchange Commission. As a free speech absolutist, it's interesting how much he's come after whistleblowers and critics. Apparently, he also tried to get the Chinese government to censor critical posts about Tesla by social media users in the country, according to Bloomberg. This is on the New York Post. Elon Musk went overboard as he waged a ruthless campaign against a whistleblower who leaked a news story about wastefulness and safety concerns at Tesla. 
Tesla's billionaire boss orchestrated a stunt to falsely portray former Gigafactory employee Martin Tripp as a lunatic who threatened to shoot up the facility after he got caught. Okay, this is really strange. So you're you're basically slandering this former employee as a potential mass shooter. That's like taking it a little bit too far, don't you think? <laughs> And then, of course, we have to mention Vernon Unsworth, the diver who tried to save all those Thai kids, or I guess he did save all those Thai kids in the cave, that dared to say he didn't want Elon Musk to build him a mini submarine. And Elon called him a pedophile on Twitter to his 60 plus million followers. And he, it, it didn't stop there, though, Robbie. He followed up by hiring a PI to try to prove the guy was a child rapist which he kept calling the guy to the press later on. And actually, I think the guy lost a defamation lawsuit against Musk. So yeah, totally insane. I mean, Musk is super anti-union, super anti-worker, obviously. And it's kind of interesting because even though he's been revered in these liberal Hollywood circles, like he, you know, he dated Amber Heard, uh, some other woman who was like on Pride and Prejudice. He like dated also. Um, so he was like definitely like, you know, within the Hollywood circles, like partying with John Cusack, apparently like, you know, basically just revered again as like a visionary. But in, in a sense, he's become this kind of right wing provocateur in the age of Trump. And he's really alienated himself, I think, from the liberal circles because of his weird antics, while at the same time, allying himself with a kind of bizarre corner of the internet, like the Andrew Yang, Pepe the Frog, Trumpian, you know, Trump people in this strange way, even though it's kind of, you know, it's his own cult, like it, it's the Elon Musk cult. Um, but maybe in the age of Trump, like perhaps he saw the success of Trump getting ahead of the story, being able to carve out his own narrative and essentially buy the press, whether negative or positive, because... He was just loved being in the news all the time. Elon does the same kind of thing where like he feeds off the media's negative attention and then the media feeds off whatever Elon says and dictates on Twitter. It's kind of fascinating. Jacobin actually had a good article about this and I think they said it best. Um, quote, if we think about the ideal means of governing a platform like Twitter, it wouldn't be ruled by the world's richest man. Certainly having some regulations by representative governments could help, but in a truly democratic society, it would be governed by users, workers, and other stakeholders. Yet the media's endless headlines about Musk's every action leaves us constantly centering his vision for how our society should be run. That leaves us precious little time to ponder whether a figure like Elon Musk should be able to exist and own a social media platform at all. I mean, I really think that says it all. And I think that this notion that, you know, the ultra rich are the only ones who can save us really goes back to the this kind of defeatist mentality where I feel like we are at kind of this broken, there's this deep institutional mistrust, distrust, understandably so. And I think people at this point know inherently that like, there is no way to advance our democracy. Like there's no way to restore this fake idealized notion of whatever American democracy is. And I think that by and large, people understand innately 
even though they 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 don't they can't articulate this that like we as a people in this country have exhausted all of our political capacity that were offered in this fake democracy and the system in the past with revolutionary movements and ideas and concepts and activists the system has rectified the system has learned and responded to these movements to ensure its future survival and again like with advertising with social media algorithms with the internet it is a psychological warfare tool where it has tapped into our deepest subconscious and insecurities to know how to manipulate us best and i think the only solution really no it's not having a good billionaire step up to the plate billionaires will never be the answer the billionaire philanthropy is fundamentally an anti-democratic concept and it's disgusting i mean these people will of course elon musk thinks that he knows what's best for us he's fucking the richest man on the planet the only solution to any of this is nationalizing these platforms and treating them like the public commons that they are going back to the initial idea of us buying in on an equal way on an equal playing field, the egalitarian notion of what the internet was supposed to be. And these social media giants that we all bought into with the idea that we were all going to have a fair chance, that we were all going to have our voices amplified in an equal fashion, that's where we need to go back to. And that can only happen if big tech is broken up, that all these monopolies are broken up and nationalized and put into the hands of some sort of democratic means where we can have a say. Whether it's Elon Musk or the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia or whatever good billionaire in the eyes of liberals steps up to save our democracy, it's always going to accelerate the problem. That concludes part one of two of this Media Roots episode with Abby Martin. And as always... If you become a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio at patreon.com slash Radio, you get access to one exclusive bonus episode per month. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.